we continue in a sermon series focusing on the seven sign miracles in the Gospel of John, we come to our fifth sign and miracle in John's Gospel in John chapter 6, verses 16 through 24. I invite you to hear these words from John's Gospel. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat, and started across the lake to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land towards which they were going. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the lake saw that there had been only one boat there. They also saw that Jesus had not got into the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, when you become a, a pastor, you have to make a few sacrifices along the way. For instance, in the United Methodist Church, uh, you might be moved to a new place. So you have to sort of sacrifice every now and then that you might have to go to a new place. I'm hoping to continue to stay. I've been here about eight and a half years. Our former senior pastor was here 22 years, so I got a long time to be with you, hopefully. You make other sacrifices to become a pastor. One of them is, is that you're not as allowed to share your opinions as your congregation is allowed to share them with you. You are more allowed to tell me what you think than I am to tell you what I think. And part of that is because we want to stay united. It's in our name, isn't it? United Methodist Church. We want to stay united. And so I'm here to preach and to teach and lead and shepherd more the, than to tell you what I think you should think, okay? But today I want to take a little bit of a step out there in faith, knowing that you love me and you will accept me even though I am about to say this. My favorite things is not a Christmas song. My favorite things from The Sound of Music is not a Christmas song, okay? Prove me wrong. That song is in the play, the musical, The Sound of Music, and it is about kids being afraid of a thunderstorm. And the only reason I think that it is in a Christmas station mix online is because one of the child's favorite things is Christmas. That's the only reason, I think. But let me tell you this. When I was in the fifth grade, I was in the, the play, The Sound of Music, in Aiken, South Carolina. I was there. I was there, not in the original play, of course. That, was, that wasn't me. But I was Kurt Von Trapp. And I was in the University of South Carolina Aiken Theater. And it was that time 
in the movie or the play what we were in where the lightning and the thunder was crashing and I was supposed to come in in my pajamas and kneel at the side of Frau Maria's bed as she sang to us about her favorite things. Now, if you don't remember the scene, there's just crashing light. There is thunder. The kids are all scared from five-year-old all the way up to 18-year-old. Every kid is afraid. And she sings about their favorite things. What are your favorite things? And if you just focus on those, you won't be as scared. On the last rehearsal, the dress rehearsal for the play, I came out that night and I knelt down by Frau Maria's bed and I started to sing and I got a leg cramp, a Charlie horse. So instead of me singing, and by the way, I stopped singing because it's not very good. But when I was in fifth grade, I was good enough to be in the play. And I was sitting there going like this, these are a few of my favorite things. (laughs) You know, when we're afraid, how many of us do things to bring us comfort? I don't know if you have a favorite blanket, a favorite tea, a favorite TV show or movie that you watch when things are down. There may be favorite things that you think about or do to bring you comfort when you're going through a tough time. There may be friends or a parent that you call that you go and meet with to bring you comfort. Whenever we are in difficult times, all of us have some sort of ritual or practice or thought that we focus on to help us get through those moments. For the disciples, they were in the boat. They were terrified They thought they might die, and it was Jesus walking up to them that helped them become calm amidst the storm. Now, we are talking about these five, uh, so far, sign miracles in the Gospel of John. We'll have two more because there's a total of seven if you come back the next two Sundays. These sign miracles are miracles, but the point of it is not just to say, look at what Jesus did. The point of it is to show us that these miracles point to who Jesus is and what's unique or special or important about him. In today's gospel reading, this sign miracle happens immediately after the one that Rost preached about last Sunday here in our service. And if you were not able to be here, or if you didn't watch online last week, I beg you to go back and watch it. He has a wonderful sermon about the feeding of the 5,000 that were gathered here at the Sea of Galilee to be fed by Jesus. It happens immediately after that, that Jesus goes up to pray and the disciples get in the boat and they leave. Now, because these happen together, it's really important for us to understand that the same clues that John gives us for last week's message about the feeding of the 5,000 apply to this week's miracle. Remember that John tells us that the feeding of the 5,000 there at the Sea of Galilee happened near the time of the Passover festival. It's important for us to know that, okay? It happened near, near the time of Passover. And that's the time they remembered that God helped move the Jewish people, the people of God, out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom. And yet it wasn't immediate, was it? They had to escape Egypt, and then they wandered through the wilderness, the desert, for 40 years before they finally got to the place where God was taking them, the land of Palestine. 
But it's important for us to understand that this passage occurs in this time frame within John's gospel. The other thing we need to remember is that this does not end the whole part of John 6 about these sign miracles. If you continue reading, you'll find out that the people who got in the boats to follow Jesus and the disciples, they end up finding him again, and they have this long discussion about what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life. Almost the entire chapter 6 in John's gospel is about these two sign miracles and what they mean, especially the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 connects to the Exodus, where Moses prays to God because the people were hungry, and God provides manna in the wilderness, like we discussed last week. In the story of Exodus, before they even get to the wilderness, there is one big obstacle in their way. And this is important for us to understand how walking on the water relates to Exodus. If you remember, either from Scripture or from a movie, the people of God are fleeing from Egypt. Pharaoh has let them go, right? He finally gave up after all the plagues, and he said, get out of here. But then what happens? He changes his mind. So the people of God are on their way out of Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea, and they can't cross it. They're stuck. And then somebody turns around and sees that the Pharaoh and the chariots and the people are racing towards them. And they are going to basically, in a sense, either fight them or take them back into slavery. And Moses tells the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm. You are about to see God's deliverance for you. And that's where the waters of the Red Sea part, the people of God go across, and then the waters come back and they are able to escape from Pharaoh and the army. Crossing the sea is not only a miracle that God did for, for those people back then, but it's also the way that he provides them safe passing out of Egypt into their safety and salvation. And so we're meant to understand because this happens during that time near the Passover, that Jesus walking on the water is connected to how they were supposed to trust in God to get them out of the Red Sea. In fact, if you were to look at our passage today, the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible trades the word sea for lake. And the reason is, is because the Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake. It's where you go to fish for freshwater fish in Jerusalem, excuse me, in Israel. The waters from Mount Hermon flow down the Jordan River, into the lake there. It's called Lake Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. And then the Jordan River reforms and goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. It is a sea, but it's also a freshwater lake, and that's why they traded the name. But that's not what John writes. John says, Jesus walked upon the sea. The disciples were paddling over the sea. In fact, if you read it over again, you will notice John wants to put that word sea in there over and over and over again. All he needed to do was to say they were going across the lake and then Jesus walked up to them. But John wants to reiterate the word sea to help us connect the dots between what happened in Exodus and what's happening here. Remember, the signs are miracles that point to something more. 
John wants us to see that Jesus is the one sent by God to help bring us into calm, into joy, into peace, and that he is in some way God's salvation for us. Now, if you were to read this passage, you'll see that that the disciples are going across in the boat. They're, They're not really told to do this in this passage. They just sort of get in the boat and go, even though Jesus isn't with them. But if you read the walking on water story in Matthew and Mark, Jesus actually tells them to go. So maybe John just omitted this fact. But Jesus tells them to go on ahead and he will meet them. John's gospel says that they get out there and there's a strong wind and the sea was rough. The lake was rough. And they were terrified. And Jesus walks upon the water out to them and he's the one who helps them calm down. But it's not as simple as the disciples just seeing him, is it? Because they can see Jesus walking up to them, but the seas are still rough. The waters are still rough. The winds would whip down over the hillsides and mountains coming from the Mediterranean Sea, and they would cause a stir, a swirling in the lake there. And these are the kind of storms that the disciples who were fishermen feared because they were unpredictable and they could sometimes last for hours upon hours. And so when Jesus walks up to them, notice he says something to them. He says, it is I, don't be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. In the, in the Greek, it's ego me, which is I am. I exist, don't be afraid. I am here, don't be afraid. It's connecting to how God tells Moses, his name is I am who I am. I exist, therefore all exists. Jesus says, I am here. It is I, don't be afraid. Moses tells the people of God there at the Red Sea with the chariots at their back, don't be afraid, stand firm. You will see your deliverance coming from God. They see Jesus, he says it's him, don't be afraid. There's a lot about fear in this, isn't there? There's a lot about fear, especially when it's a time in which they are not in control. There's no safe place to go. They've gotten three or four miles down away from where they were. They were a far uh, journey away from land. There was nothing they could do. All that they could do would be to stay in that boat and get as much water out of it as they possibly could. In the message, paraphrased version of the Bible, Jesus says, it's me, it's all right. And do you know what happens next? The disciples are not calmed because Jesus says, it's me, it's all right. Do you know what they want? Do you know what they need? Do you know the only thing that really gives them a sense of calm? Is when they get Jesus into the boat. Do you notice that? The disciples are terrified and they want to welcome him into the boat. The Greek says that they have got to get them, him into the boat. And once they do get in, him in the boat, it doesn't even say that the storm stops. Although in Matthew and Mark's gospel, the storm does stop. For John, it's just that as soon as they get Jesus into the boat, they make it to their destination. And they are back on dry land and safe. Have you ever seen a child who's afraid? What's the thing that brings them most calm? Is it seeing their parent across the room? Or is it when they run up to their parent and hold out their arms and the parent picks them up that they feel safe? 
right? There's something about having Jesus in the boat with them that helps them believe that it will be okay. Even though they've seen Jesus do miracles, this is the fifth one so far. He's, he's healed somebody from miles away, 15, 16 miles away. He can probably stop the storm and does in other gospels from being out there on the water. And yet there's just something about having him in the boat with them that finally makes them feel secure and okay. In the midst of the storm, the disciples see Jesus, the deliverance of God walking towards them, but it's only when he gets into the boat that they find calm and peace. So here's a question for all of us gathered here. The God, the God of Moses, the God of Exodus who brought the people into salvation, that God sends Jesus to bring calm and peace to us. Are we willing to invite Jesus into our boat? Are we willing to invite Jesus into our places when the storms of life are churning? There's a scholar and pastor, N.T. Wright, who tells us that Jesus walking on the water can be a metaphor for our own experiences in the journeys of life. The waters of life can get rough just as the storms rage around us. But even in those difficult times, Jesus is there walking towards us to bring us calm and joy. How many those times, though, when the storms are raging and the winds are whipping at our boats, do we try to start paddling ourselves? Do we try to save ourselves? How much of the time in the storms do we actually reach out to Jesus and ask him into the boat versus trying to do everything ourselves? I don't know why we do this. Why do we reach for an oar before we reach out to Jesus? Maybe it's because we think we can do it ourselves. We're self-sufficient. But often we find that even though we can get pretty far, we can't go as far without God's assistance or without the help of others. The more that we invite Jesus into our boat, the more that we invite those whom God gives us in our lives, those good people that are like angels among us, the more that we invite those people into our lives, it's almost as if that calm and that peace comes more quickly than if we try to do it ourselves. I don't know why we're so resistant to help. And yet, it's the help that we need the most. The storm may pass soon. It may pass years and years later. We're not in control of how long the storms of life ravage against us. But the good news is, is that Jesus walks upon the water to us. He doesn't wait for us to paddle to the other side. He comes to us in our time of need. And again, he gives us good people in our lives. How many people here can say that during some of their most difficult times, there was somebody from Bluff Park United Methodist Church that was there for them? Or there was somebody in their lives, a good Christian friend, a, a good neighbor who cared for them, who was there at the right place at the right time. My wife Julie and I watched a, a movie the other night uh, about a family who the wife uh, contracted cancer and it sped, spread very quickly. They had a close, close friend from college who gave up his life and moved in with them. He stayed in their house for over a year 
helping take care of the kids, helping to do the dishes and the laundry because it was just too difficult for the father to do it all himself. There were other friends that they had. And by the way, this was set in Fairhope, Alabama. There were other friends that they had and they would come over and give meals and they would come over and help. But it was only this one friend who actually got into the boat with them. And it was through his love and care that they were able to make it through. Sometimes we're resistant to that help, right? But sometimes it's the very thing that saves us. Welcoming Jesus into our boats can bring us calm and joy. It can. There's one commentary that says this, For John, such trust and reception on the dark and wind-tossed sea is followed by immediate calm and joy. It's that act of receiving Jesus into the boat, into their lives, into the midst of their place in the storm, that things calm down. So one of the things that we might need to think about this morning in relation to this scripture is, when do the storms of life often rise up for us? We know that sometimes they they rise up without warning, just like the storm here in the sea. We cannot anticipate all the things that come our way. And yet there are some storms we face in life that we bring upon ourselves, don't we? We have to go through and weather it over and over again, even though we are often the cause of it. When do the storms of life rise up for you? And how can you be prepared How can you be ready to welcome Jesus or others into your life? The first of all is to be ready to admit that we need Jesus in our boat. And the second is to make sure that we are surrounded by people that we love and trust. One way that we can be sure that we're surrounded by people we love and trust who would get in the boat with us is to do what? Be there for them. Get into their boat. Help them out. Not to keep our own distance and to only focus on our lives, but to be there for other people. Because the more we give, the more we share, the more we serve, the more people are willing the process of asking God to stay close to us, to be near, to return that favor to us. As we leave for us and to help us, I had a friend a long time ago, and I've done this this passage today. I hope we will all understand that Jesus walking to the boat is probably about two or three times with you before, who shared this about one of the Psalms. And, And again, you may want to practice this later on, maybe not right now in this service. But if you were to sign that deliverance is on the way and receiving him into our boat is that David writes. David says... God, keep me as the apple. to look in the eyes of the person sitting next to you and you get closer and closer. This is kind of a weird, you can shine it up and you can see your reflection in it. That's kind of what we're going for. With the apple of your eye, the apple of your eye. Do you know what the apple of your eye is? Thing to do in COVID times, isn't it? Closer and closer until you can see the reflection of your face. And you look so closely into somebody else's eye and you can see your reflection. That is the apple. Some of you have already heard this before. If you were to turn to somebody sitting next to you, you know, in their eyes, in their pupils, once you can see the reflection of your face in their, 
of, of their eye. And so what is David asking God? Keeping your pupil, you've just found the apple of their eye. Think about those shiny, waxy apples, his face so close, looking at David, looking directly into his face and keeping you. All of this is all connected. David and other Israelites believed that if God leaping him in his thoughts, in his mind, keeping David close, looked closely at them, the world would be right. The storms would go away to God. Why would David want that? Some of us don't want God looking that closely at our lives. But if God looked away, chaos would ensue. So David, close to you, right? God's countenance, his face, shine upon us asking him, God, I'm the king, I'm the leader. I don't want my people to suffer. Look at me. Help keep my life and my kingdom from chaos. Maybe that's the kind of thing that Jesus can offer us when he gets in the boat with us. I hope later today you'll find the right person to look into each other's eyes and see the apple of your eye and their eye and maybe think about what it means to let God into your life and Jesus into your boat. If we're looking for calm, if we're looking to weather the storm, We can never do this alone. We can never do it alone. No matter how hard we work, we'll still be fighting the winds that blow around us. But when Jesus gets in the boat and when we have other people in our lives to assist us, we find that we can make it to the other side. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for joining us, and I hope that you found this message to be meaningful and life-giving. I look forward to you joining us next time, either on our live stream on Sunday mornings here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. It's at 10 o'clock a.m. Or if you want to join us in person, you're welcome to do so. Also here at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can find out more about our church family, who we are, what we do, and how to get involved, as well as more information about our worship services at www.bluffparkumc.org. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.